Welcome to a special episode of Three Rural White Guys. I'm Mike Heaton. Jacob Dodds and Kellen Gracie and I have taken a break from the podcast for a couple months as we've revamped the show. Unfortunately, the latest news on Roe versus Wade have forced us to come back to the studio a little prematurely. Uh, we do have new a new season, season four, coming out in just a, just a few weeks. But we felt like with the news on Roe versus Wade, there's some issues that are important enough that we need to get back to the studio and, and start a conversation on. This is definitely one of them. Enjoy the show, and we're excited to be starting season four with you shortly. All right, so welcome back. I guess it's it's been a couple months, and this is all on me, guys. I, I apologize. Um, I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, we, we truncated season three a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a little busy. Um, as you can follow us on social media, I, I took the stupid decision, and I think a good decision, to run for office for, for the Iowa House. We can't sit here on this show and, and complain and, and yap and talk about all these things and not actually take action. Mm-hmm. And no one else was going to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seat was sitting open for the Democratic primary. Would have been um, unopposed Republican victory. Yeah, yep. guaranteed. Somebody had to step up, and we, we tried to, to get a lot of our people to do it. And no one felt that it was time in their lives to do it. It's probably not the time in my life to do it either, <laughs> to be frank. Um, but we have to do it. There's, as we've talked about some of our legislators here recently, that extreme new Republican just can't do it. So running for office, there's been a bunch of other things going on too. But my apologies, we are we are got a little behind on the podcast. But we're going to come out with season four shortly. This is a special episode, and we felt like we had to get in the studio because of what happened this week, which we'll get into here in a moment. But this is just sort of a special in-between episode. We're going to try to get our new ones out here shortly, start with season four in the next couple weeks. But we felt we had to record this weekend, ironically, on Mother's Day. And our topic to talk about is the recent news that uh, the Supreme Court is considering overturning Roe versus Wade. Kellen, you want to give us a rundown on what the heck happened this week? So Monday, somebody leaked. We don't know who. It could be someone from the left. It could be someone from the right. I think it's silly to assume one or the other. There are reasons why people from both sides would want to leak this. But somebody leaked what you call a draft opinion that was written in February, written by Justice Alito. Um, And you can see a lot of the back and forth and, and where they're heading, essentially, in the ruling on the Mississippi abortion case. And in that ruling, talk about overturning Roe v. Wade. And they kind of essentially show their hand with that leak by by showing how they the, the Supreme Court fully intends to overturn Roe v. Wade and strip those rights out. That happened on Monday. Since Monday, it's been interesting to see how people are kind of digesting this. So, of course, anti-forced birth activists are outraged and protests all over the place. I'm sure it's just going to get worse, especially when the ruling actually happens. So one important thing to keep in mind is that this ruling isn't done yet. Um, it might actually change. They might not overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, highly unlikely, given the makeup of the court and the things that they have all said on record about Roe v. Wade. But nonetheless, it's not a it's not an actual ruling yet. We won't get that for another month or two. So basically, we got a leaked draft of what the ruling on the Mississippi abortion case is going to look like. It's interesting to see the flailing because there's not any sort of victory lap going on on the right. That, to me, is super telling. 
Um, you're starting to see these like leaked po- internal polling documents from the right. You're starting to see the, the, a little bit of a concern that this is going to blow up in their face just uh, overwhelmingly. For a long time now, Americans have supported the right to, to access abortion and uh, in particular to not overturn Roe v. Wade. Jacob, what have you heard on this topic? You know, Kellen mentioned the fact that that there hasn't really been this victory lap by the right. I mean, there's definitely been a victory lap by the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely not from the right. And, and uh, if, you, if you follow politics closely at all, there's been a lot of discussion this last week about the fact that this is really not only, not only because of public opinion, but this has been literally what the GOP has ran on, fundraised on. They don't have that issue or they won't have that issue potentially anymore. So this is really kind of a death knell for them. They say it's like the, the dog that finally caught the bumper. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, they don't know what don't to do, do with that, it. Like flailing, like bouncing on the ground. Yeah, they've been chasing a car they never intended to catch. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. And now they've caught it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to put a little disclaimer here. Uh, as we've been talking to our own spouses and talking to, to other women in our life and medical professionals in our life about this issue, we acknowledge fully that we're just three guys. And our opinion on the matter, on, on women's reproductive health... Uh, as you listen to us, uh, weight us appropriately. Uh, and that is much, much lower than the opinions of women, the opinions of those affected by this issue, and the opinions of medical professionals that deal with women's reproductive health. As three men, it is important to us. It relates to our lives, but our opinion should be nowhere near as important as you look to see how you guys deal with this, our listeners deal with this issue. Uh, you need to listen to people actually impacted by the issue. Well, Mike, I think you just underlined the foundation of what pro-choice is. How so? We aren't qualified to make that decision. Right. Right. It's, right. A, it's between a woman and her doctor. Right. Right. So we do want to tell our side of the story. We have stories to tell. We've had, we have been connected to this issue deeply in some ways, uh, and very personally in some ways, uh, all three of us have our own unique stories uh, related to women's reproductive health and abortion rights and so on. So we're going to share those. But like I said, take it with a grain of salt. It's just our own personal stories. We can relate them. Um, but our goal today is to stay more at the, that 40,000-foot level, what this can mean politically, what it can mean in rural politics and the impact it has on rural politics. And we'll get to that after our own sort of stories. Um, but also to share with you what it means is sort of three men and what we've dealt with uh, relating to um, women's reproductive health. Anybody want to go first? I'll go first. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I've never seen the other side of the coin on this. I have, I I can't ever remember a point in my life where I was pro-life. Right. You want to before we get too far down the road, we keep saying pro-life, pro-choice, right? I think the, the term I've always heard from the pro-choice movement is anti-abortion versus pro-choice, because uh, pro-life is so much broader than just yeah. The well, they yeah they thing. get hung out to dry. They get, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, prefer, <laughs> I prefer pro-force birth. Pro-force birth. I prefer anti-abortion, and you can say pro-life. Whatever you want to call it. That's the most common (laughs) language. Yeah. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Vagina regulation. Vagina regulation. Yeah. Uh, Regulation. um, No, it's it's. I've always kind of, I guess, leaned that direction, and and you know, my wife and I have been together since you know we were freshmen in college, and uh, when I first met my wife, she was pro-life, and most of that had to do with her upbringing in the Catholic Church. Right. And I can remember we used to have debates about that 
and she had friends in college. She went to a Catholic college that were actively engaged in, in pro-life activities. And so that kind of stuff would come up and, and these were women, which was even more alien to me because it didn't make sense that they would be for someone else making their decisions for them. But as I got older, I guess I've, I've just encountered enough things. That I think the, the biggest reason that, that you'll never, you'll, I'll never see eye to eye with, with pro-life people is because of the absolute amount of hypocrisy that exists behind it. And it's not just about controlling women's reproductive health. It's, it's, uh, they're all about that until they're in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I won't name people specifically, but I, I know people who were staunchly anti-abortion, but ended up in a situation where they had to make that decision and they chose abortion. There's, there's any number of elected Republican officials too that have, uh, found out, we found out later that they had a mistress that they got pregnant or something and they had to have an abortion. Yeah. And they were all okay with it then. Yep. And it it uh, it strikes me as odd that these are the same people who think that we need to shut down uh, one of the world's largest family entertainment <laughs> companies because they're grooming, air quotes, grooming children. But yet, you know, we have school shootings happening every other week and we turn a blind eye to that. Um, We have those same people who vote for this kind of stuff that are against snap benefits, parental leave. Right. right. Um, They're, (laughs) they're definitely not pro family child. Yeah. Right. They're pro birth, but, but they don't care what happens to that infant after they're born. Right. And and just to be clear on that, those are two issues where they're choosing one or the other with the grooming versus School shootings, grooming actually is not happening. They're actually lying about that, right? And and saying those things outright, yeah. And I'll I'll come full circle with with you know my wife. I mean, obviously she's evolved now. I mean, she's a family practice physician. She did obstetrics for a number of years. And the reality of it is, is that uh, when you're when you're in medicine, you have to approach things with a non biased attitude. I mean, you you can't you can't necessarily impart your will on other people. And you have to understand where other people come from. You have to understand that there's different backgrounds and socioeconomic difficulties that exist behind that. Um, but just through her general education, she learned that there are there's another side to it. Yeah. And it's, quite frankly, a far more complicated issue than a lot of people realize. And there are, there are medical reasons for abortions. And, and that's what I don't understand is so much of it seems to be centered around this idea that that it's that people are using it as a form of birth control and it's not, I mean that, yes, that happens, but it's more complicated than that. And it's disgusting to me that, that some of these laws are seeking to punish people. I mean, an ectopic pregnancy, first off, that's not an abortion because it's not even a viable pregnancy and it will kill the mother. Right. Pure and simple. So the fact that, that we have decided that these legislators have decided to throw that in there tells me they don't, they don't know shit well, about this. Why don't you give a quick, what is an ectopic pregnancy? An ectopic pregnancy is uh, when the embryo implants inside the fallopian tube. It doesn't make its way down to the uterus. And as it grows, it uh, can rupture and can cause uh, fatal hemorrhage. 
which means it'll, it'll, it'll cause a woman to bleed out and die. Yeah. It's a, it's a surgical emergency. It is not in any way, shape, or form a viable pregnancy. I mean, you cannot save that baby. Period. And then add to that the you know the cases for rape and incest and all of those things and just the amount of trauma. But I, I just don't understand how we can force people in in the in the day and age that we live in where we have the haves and have nots in society and we're getting to a point where the have nots are far outnumbering the haves. You know, somebody has a, a mistake, those things happen and why should they be saddled with that burden that they don't want? I just don't think people realize how life-altering those can be. Right. Can I pick it up from there? Because that actually feeds really well into my own personal story. Um, I'm adopted through Catholic Charities at birth. My birth mom had a choice, chose to give me up for adoption. She could have had me aborted, could have kept me, could have given me up for adoption, but she had that choice. And I spent the next... 20, 30 years being staunchly pro-life as a result of that because I was adopted through Catholic Charities, was a server at Catholic Mass, was a lector at Catholic Masses, studied religious studies uh, with the emphasis on Catholic social teaching, ended up running a Catholic camp out in Colorado, ended up being a lobbyist for the Catholic Church, eventually worked for a um, diocesan seminary uh, where I got to see the insides of a seminary and how they operated and worked and produced priests. I was recruited to be a priest at one point in time. My master's degree is from a Catholic university. So going back to your wife's story, um, I got some background in Catholic schools, <laughs> Catholic everything, right? Um, the only thing I didn't do is go through the parochial school. And that's you, probably you, you were indoctrinated, Mike. Relatively, just a little bit. A little bit. And probably <laughs> the only reason I didn't go to a Catholic school is because there's not one here in Mount Pleasant. It, there's My mom went to one down in Fort Madison. Um, so that said, though, that was very much my... My take, and when I was lobbying especially, uh, I was staunchly pro-life. That was our biggest issue we, we lobbied on, you know, was, was anti-abortion, pro-life. And I would be followed around by the Planned Parenthood lobbyists because they wanted to make sure that that I, whoever I was talking to, they got to talk to right after me. <laughs> and the funny part is we sat in the lobby, and she would talk to me, and she'd tell me stories. And she's like, do you ever think about this? You know, where did you, where did you hear about that? Where'd you, why do you think that? And I'd be like, well, you know, when I'm in mass, the priest says this, or this is what Catholic social teaching says, which is why I have to believe that. And she said one time, she asked me, do you ever think it's a little strange that you get all your perspective and stance on, on abortion from celibate men? And I think it was, that was the first moment that was the first crack right in, in the wall for me is why the hell am I getting my information on whether or not something's right or wrong <laughs> from, from a celibate priest when it has to do with women's reproductive health, mm -hmm. right? And that was the first crack in, in my armor on that, of my sort of justice, righteous type armor, trying to save kids like me who were given up for adoption instead of, instead of aborted. And I always sort of saw myself as that, as, that, as that fetus, as that little baby inside the womb that I can be their voice, right? And... Over time, as I've learned, as my own wife got pregnant and I saw what the, the process was of having a baby, I actually met my birth mom and talked to her about her decision and how, why she chose it. She's staunchly pro-choice, I might add. Um, and I learned that, to your point, Jacob, it's far, far more complicated than the Catholic Church describes it as. And for me, I, it wasn't as black and white anymore. 
And the, the longer I, I, I looked into it, the longer I looked at healthcare injustices, oppression of women, uh, especially from the church who defines women and men uh, so black and white, so binary and so role driven, um, not only within the priesthood and sisterhood, but also within society in terms of what's the role of a mother versus what's the role of a father. And I think the, the timing added to it as well. You know, when I was lobbying, I had to deal directly with the, um, the, the child abuse scandals within the Catholic church. You know, I, I literally worked for the diocese of Davenport during the bankruptcy and before that, I had to lobby to try to, to keep the statute of limitations from being taken away um, because people had proof that these priests had done stuff to kids 20, 30 years prior and the statute of limitations laws were keeping them from being prosecuted. And I had to defend the statute of limitation laws. So that was, that was uh, disheartening, to say the least. Not my favorite uh, job in the world, uh, if you can imagine that. But... More importantly, on the back end of that, after the Diocese of Davenport went bankrupt, they had to refill their coffers. They're saying to Catholics across Southeast Iowa as they tried to refill their coffers and start the church back up after bankruptcy is that, you know, priests are human. They're, they're not perfect and they, they make mistakes. And that's what triggered it for me. Priests are human. And if we're going to treat them like human on this issue and, and fund the diocese back, then we got to treat their perspectives on other issues as if they're human as well. And they're not necessarily right when it comes to thinking, researching, looking at Catholic social teaching and making decisions on their stance on women's reproductive health and on abortion, especially considering they are celibate men who do not have families of their own and whose health care, food, housing, all those other basic needs are taken care of fully by the diocese that they work under or by the church that they are leaders in. And so I think that was my final crack. And that was the piece that really took me out of it and said, you know what, maybe I'm a little more pro-choice than I thought I was. And so I started looking at other sources of information on abortion outside of just the Catholic church. And when I did that, um, yeah, my whole perspective just shifted completely because the, when you look at all the perspectives, all the variables, it's really hard to think that the Catholic Church is right on this and women and doctors are not. I know that's harsh and there might be a lot of Catholic listeners that don't like hearing what I'm saying, but that's where my opinion's at right now. Well, I'll save you a little bit. Okay. Because I'm immune to Catholic guilt since I'm not a, cra- a cradle Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, so that that's that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because here's what I have not understood. Now, when I say the church, I'm speaking Christianity in general has stood behind sort of the the anti-abortion pro-life movement, um, but obviously the Catholic Church has been a big, big part of that. Right. And what I have not understood since joining the Catholic Church is why that is a single issue that most members of the church seem to be united behind. But yet you have, the church has stands on the use of birth control, which most Catholics ignore. Right. Which Um, in some cases is a form of abortion and most Catholics ignore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I, that's what I've never understood about it is, is I'll hear people say, well, uh, I'm, I'm pro-life because, uh, you know, I'm Catholic. Right. And my response to that is, okay, but what about this? What about this? Like, how can you Death pick and, be another one? Right? How can you pick and choose yeah. 
this stuff? Help, helping the poor. Yeah. A lot of those things, the social teachings. So I'm like in the middle, um, a kind of a mix of both of your experiences. I was raised Catholic. Did uh, what was that catechism? Yep. Um, that we all suffered through as children. <laughs> um, I did still, it as an still adult. Had the fear of God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and as they say, like any good Catholic, I left the Catholic church, uh, as an adult, um, never really cared about any of that. I'm not a religious person, never was. I was an altar boy for a long time, but because my parents made me do it. Right. But as soon as I was out on my own, I was done with all that. And I'm not, not a religious person at all, but, um, but like Jacob, I, I can't remember a time in my life where I've been pro-life or whatever we want to call it. I, I, I've, I find it very hard to see things from that per- perspective, from that point of view, um, for a lot of different reasons, but mainly because I, I have a very science-oriented mind. My, I always go to numbers and data and science and medicine and, and these kinds of, of things when I'm trying to make my mind up about, about different things, about different issues. But um, as an adult, though... Um, this, this really hits home for me on a number of different levels. It, depending on the state we were in, my family would be illegal and wouldn't even exist because we have to conceive using IVF. And depending on the state, um, after the, this Roe v. Wade issue it comes down, and if it's anything like how it was put into the draft, um, there are a lot of trigger laws across the country that will go into place automatically. There are a lot of states that have already passed legislation that says basically if or when Roe v. Wade falls, this happens, right, immediately. Um, and I, th- I think the number is like 18 states. Iowa is not one of them, um, but Iowa does have a particularly crazy flavor of the GOP in charge of the state. So we could get anything from, you know, life begins a conception amendment to the Constitution, which everything is gone, or maybe some moderate version of abortion restrictions that looks at something closer to like the second trimester and beyond. Or I, I don't know what that might look like here in Iowa, but nonetheless, we're currently doing IVF. We've been doing IVF for years. Um, the people who are behind this movement don't like IVF because if, if you're if you're not familiar with IVF, in in, in vitro fertilization uh, involves eggs and sperm uh, essentially being. Uh, coaxed to do their thing in a petri dish and then that clump of cells is allowed to grow for a few days and then they stick it in a freezer uh, for a long time until it gets implanted and 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 you go from there now as part of all of this sometimes those embryos get discarded um, maybe because of genetic testing revealing something wrong with it other times multiple embryos they, they don't do this as much anymore um, and we haven't done this but but th- and they, they used to do this all the time they would implant a bunch of embryos in hopes of one of them sticking right in hopes of one of them catching and and, and going to the full-term pregnancy but my son is an IVF baby and if we were in one of these states he wouldn't exist we're currently trying to conceive again we would be criminals in, in some of these states, it's mind-boggling to me. Um, and as part of this process, and, and as I mentioned, we've been doing this for a long time, uh, the second one, trying to get pregnant again, as part of that, uh, some of these don't work out. Most of the time, you can catch them before you have to intervene medically. Some of them are very much a miscarriage or result in, in what, what what's called a DNC, which 
again, depending on the state and how the law is written and so on and so forth, would be a, would would potentially be viewed as a, a as an abortion. Now, we had one in particular that uh, might fall into that category simply because the fetus was not developing fast enough, but had a heartbeat, and depending on the bill, that DNC. They may have, depending on the state we were living in and how it's worded, may have made force my wife to take that pregnancy further on um, when it when it wasn't going to result in a in a viable pregnancy, simply because it had a heartbeat, right? So again, it's all this nuance and whatnot, uh, depending on how the laws written and whatnot that that are going that are going into this, but. This stuff matters, and and I, I I had a conversation with my wife of whether whether or not she was okay with me sharing some of this stuff, and she was. Um, she just <laughs> made sure to. I'm, I'm glad you noted that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> she just made sure to say, uh, uh, if if you don't know what you're talking about, shut the hell up and maybe text me. I don't want you putting misinformation out there. I think I did a good job. I, I ran by <laughs> some of what I was going to talk about with her, but um her real concern is is what jacob mentioned uh ectopic pregnancy i mean beyond the fact that our family wouldn't exist it depends on what would happen in iowa and whatnot but some of these states will outlaw ivf in their states um and criminalize my family uh, but um the more women i talk to about this it's it's the you know i don't you know i don't want somebody else telling me when i'm going to be a mother is the most prominent one but there's also this this the more complicated nuance of just medicine and science in general which makes this an issue that needs to be left to the patient with with their doctor and and shouldn't be something that um white men without doctorate degrees and who aren't medical doctors legislating on yeah we're going to go into what this decision could eventually lead to before we move off of um, of unplanned pregnancies, uh, I once read a an article that I thought was really compelling. Is that ninety nine point nine percent of all unplanned pregnancies and unwanted pregnancies are due to irresponsible ejaculation? Mm-hmm. It's it's getting a woman pregnant without their consent to be pregnant. We're not talking about rape. We're not talking about having sex. We're talking about ejaculation. And if this is making people uncomfortable, so is, does abortion. So the topic itself is, is uncomfortable here. But this is where we come back to other men who are listening to our show. It's our fault if we get a woman pregnant when they did not want to be pregnant. And if you think right. it's two, two takes two to tango kind of crap, no, you're the one that ejaculates inside of them, period. That's it. You can pull out. You can put a condom on. You can get a, a, a vasectomy. vasectomy. There's men's uh, birth control you can do now uh, that's coming out. There's all kinds of things. You can get consent from her that she's on um, birth, birth control, control yep. right? And but even can, then, birth control is not 100% effective. Right, but then, but at least you have consent right. Right. To, to, right. to, to not irresponsibly ejaculate right. inside her, right? So right. you have the consent to do that. But if you end up getting her pregnant without her consent to be pregnant... There are no physical repercussions for men. Yes, there is, you know, child support and things like that. But that's, so many people dodge that. Yeah, they just they totally off. do. But more than that, like if you're a listener right now and you haven't had a partner go through pregnancy, then honestly shut up about this <laughs> issue, okay? Because the three of us have been in here and we've watched our, our, our spouses go through it. And while it's a wonderful, loving, amazing thing for women to go through in some people's minds, it's hard, it's painful, it's mentally and physically taxing. The birthing process is hard, and we never have to go through that. No. So for five seconds extra pleasure, you're putting someone through that right. misery. 
I know a lot of women love it and it's a thing they are proud to go through and they should be and it's wonderful and I'm not going to speak for women. But I can tell you from watching it from our perspective as men and husbands watching our partners go through a pregnancy, you feel for them. It's a hard, hard process to go through. And anyone that tells you otherwise is trying to sugarcoat it because they really love their children, which we do. We love our children. I wouldn't go back, but it's hard for them. It is. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Yes. Yeah. And it's definitely not the equivalent of five seconds of pleasure. No. Nope. And well, and not only that, but you're talking about a situation where somebody is in a loving, monogamous relationship. Right. Right. And that's not every pregnancy. Right. But yet the right wants to go on about how our problems are about the, you know, non-present fathers and single mothers and let's, let's make that worse. That'll, that'll help. Oh, this is definitely going to make that worse. And finally, the last little piece that I always have is this isn't going to stop abortions. We know it's not going to stop abortions because we've had the law in the past and it didn't stop abortions. They just became secret. They became more dangerous. They harmed more women who died from illegal procedures in back alleys, if you will. Um, you see a lot of the memes going around with bloody hangers. Um, like this isn't going to save more lives. So for people walking around being like, we're saving children, we're saving. No, you're not. You're, you're just making it less documented. And that's it. So safer, smarter, reproductive, planned parenthood like is what's going to save more lives not this crap well and some of this legislation that's already out there you know that's that doesn't only go after the woman but it goes after the provider the the doctor right, right. I, I mean again this is a far more complicated issue than this right and there are those cases where i mean it is a medically necessary abortion yeah and you're asking that that doctor to go against their ethics I mean, they're, they're charged with, with helping people right? and telling them that they can't do what's medically necessary. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So let's see if we can transition this a little bit. You know, I look at this thing as very much a, a religion thing. This is the, as I, as I watched during our 4th of July parade this last year, the Republican float in front of the Democrat float up in Wayland, Iowa, mm-hmm. with a massive white cross mm-hmm. on the back of the trailer. Um, very, very clearly saying, hey, we are the Christian party, which, by the way, what defines Christian? As someone who studied religious studies, like Catholicism and evangelical Christianity are not even close to being the same no. in terms of doctrine, in terms of belief structures, but they're melding them all together on this issue. And this, what's happening right now, is a definition based on religion of what is right or wrong when it comes to abortion. Well, it's, it's religious oppression. It's, yeah. It's enforcing your religious views on someone else. It's fine if you're religiously opposed to abortion. I don't care. Don't have an abortion. Right. It's another thing to tell somebody else that they can't have an abortion because of your religion. Right. Well, and it's interesting, too, if you go back and you look at the history of Roe v. Wade, initially, the evangelicals didn't care. No, this wasn't an issue. This, this wasn't an issue for no, them. No, and abortions have been happening for a very long time, people. Um, in fact, the leader of their conference, which I can't remember his name, I'd have to look it up. He even made a statement when Roe v. Wade came out to basically say that he more or less supported safe abortions. 
Yeah. Five of the uh, uh, five of the um, seven justices. It was a seven-two Roe v. Wade decision. Five of the seven justices were appointed by Republican presidents. Right. They were conservative. If I mean, let's be honest, the Supreme Court is partisan. Oh, very much so. Anyone who anyone who tries to pretend otherwise is just naive. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially today. Maybe like fifty years ago, it was a different story. And and in this situation, we're talking about um, the majority being conservative, or at least appointed by conservative presidents. Deciding Roe v. Wade. And then by contrast, in 2022, all who said, or at least three of them who said, clearly in the last couple of years during the Trump administration, while being interviewed by the Senate for confirmation, that they would not touch Roe v. Wade. Yeah, the, the three that are on this one. Yeah, yeah. on the Alito draft. Right. Um, yeah, go back and run the tape, man. Yeah. They all said it's a it's settled law. It's precedent. You know, that's it. We're done. I, you know, whether or not I agree with it or not, there's some, some version of that. All three of them had, had right. said that under oath in <laughs> Senate hearing. They all lied. Republican appointed judges lied. Look, to- well, they, they all lied. And, and we can, we can hem and haw that back and forth all day long. But the reality of it is, is we had 50 years to enact this in legislation or actually get a constitutional amendment passed to protect it. Right. And we've, we've all sat back and looked at just a simple Supreme court ruling to enshrine that. Right. Right. And, and we're learning that the hard way. Mm -hmm. We're also learning the hard way that if legislators want to keep a balance of partisanship on the Supreme court, then they probably ought to fight a little harder when one party basically fucks the other party's chance over to appoint justices. And I, and I think it's also probably a good argument that maybe perhaps uh, Supreme Court appointments shouldn't be lifetime appointments. Yeah, I, I read an interesting article the other day that there was a, a progressive group that towards the end of Obama's term met with, with uh, RBG and said, you know, you're getting old. I'm paraphrasing. But they more or less said, you're getting old and do you really want the next president to potentially like replace you? Yeah. And like maybe you should, maybe you should retire so that Obama can replace you. And she refused to do it. Right. I think yeah. that's the, the justices right now are playing politics. Yeah. It's pretty clear they're playing politics. And I think the ramifications of that go beyond women's reproductive health. Well, and, and this playing politics stuff and, and this, this kind of, incremental politicization of the of the Supreme Court is concerning for a lot of different reasons. But and I kind of want to harken back to the opening of the episode where we mentioned how, you know, we're just three, you know, white guys sitting here talking about it. And our opinion doesn't matter near as much as a, a woman or a doctor does on this issue. Of course, that's true. But there are downstream effects, right? Ripple effects downstream, snowball effects of this that do matter to men. Um, and people who not just in terms of reproductive rights because of the way that this draft memo was written so on page five of this draft opinion uh, is the language that's most concerning and in in there talk about why roe v wade needs to be overturned uh, and says it's because rights must be rooted in the nation's history okay so so let that stop with you for a second what are some rights that we have now that we haven't had right so like hey guys no, like segregation or the banning of segregation is less than a century old. Okay. Right. Same sex marriage is seven years old. The right to vote because I own land. 
the right to vote because you own look the the just the simple who can and can't be enfranchised in, in voting right if you didn't own land back in the early parts of the republic even if you were a white man you couldn't vote right like all of these kinds of things are rooted in the nation's history segregation and slavery uh you know traditional gender roles uh not allowing women to have bank accounts or credit cards or so on and so forth a lot of these things that we these rights and freedoms we enjoy now are not rooted in our nation's history okay so when i read that i and 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 then you have to also understand that how roe v wade was originally decided is based on the idea of the underlying right to privacy the idea that the government shouldn't be involved in your private conversations with your doctor, that being the underlying rationale that allowed Roe v. Wade to be decided the way it was, that right to privacy, if you're saying that that's not rooted in our nation's history, then what about Griswold v. Connecticut, which essentially said you can't ban contraceptives. You can't have a state law that bans uh, birth control or condom usage, right? Like you can't have those those laws in place. Griswold v. Connecticut says that, right? Uh, or Loving v. Virginia that says a, a black person can marry a white person. Right. Or the, the Lawrence decision that has to do with anti-sodomy laws says states can't ban sodomy. All of these are the underlying rationale for all of them is a right to privacy. And this decision on page five is saying that right to privacy is not rooted in our nation's history. So all of those decisions, all those court decisions, if this is the way the court is going and this is the way they're trending and how they're thinking, they're all young. With the exception of Clarence Thomas, Thomas is, a, I think, the oldest one. Um if this is the way they're going, folks, um, you know, if you are a person who falls into any of those categories, you should be afraid. You and, really should. And let's let's just let's just take a moment on that for a second. There's a lot of podcasters out there. There's a lot of conspiracy folks out there that are always screaming, you know, death and destruction's coming, and they're they're going to change your lives and and going to take away your rights and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. We now have proof they're actually doing it. Uh, this is a very disturbing, a very troubling, a very terrifying trend in the Supreme Court of stripping rights. Right. Period. Period. And it, it's happening in our generation, in our lifetime right now. Here's, here's the other. And one last thing on this, just, just because, fuck, I'm worked up about this. The, the other thing that really bothers me about this is that, so this is, this is going to go to the state's level where uh, states are going to vary. You already see this, right? Some states are going to be more crazy about this than others. Some states are actually criminalizing this, criminalizing abortion and saying, if you get an abortion, even if you leave the state and go somewhere else and get an abortion, you are a criminal, you're a felon, we're going to charge you. Some of them are saying we're going to charge you with murder. Right now it's happening. It's like legislative sessions are in session right now and they're passing these these fucking bills. Yeah. Um, a, a bill uh, uh, recently in Arizona banning contraceptives. Uh, unreal. Just unreal stuff, okay? And so if you criminalize someone who gets an abortion, right, and that person is then ultimately arrested, a lot of these states also have rules that say if you're a felon, you're not allowed to vote. Right. This is all about control, people. This is all about control. It was in the time of Jim Crow laws when when it was all about uh, criminalizing black populations um, disproportionately high incarceration rates because then you can take their voting rights away. You don't have to worry about them, right? right. It's only white people voting. Yeah. And it's the exact same thing going on here, and it absolutely... 
And if you think you're you're a you're a you know a white guy in a rural area that you're safe from this, you're not. You're just as vulnerable to the discrimination of sort of this wealthy elite white class that's pushing this shit. Well, and that's the funny thing. Like we said earlier, the wealthy elite white class, the suburban white women aren't going to be impacted by this because they have the resources to leave Dallas and head to the next state. Right. They can. They can hop on a plane, go somewhere else and get an abortion. They can fly to Canada. Right. But if you're a poor person and the nearest abortion provider is 300 miles away and you can't take the time off of your job, most people who get abortions already have children. Yeah. You this, can't this, find child care. This has a massive impact, negative impact on everyone who lives in rural communities that's already lacking decent access to basic yeah. health care, let alone the access to reproductive right. health. But especially if you're not wealthy, right? right? If you're, if you're, and, and I, and I mean wealthy, like if you're, you know, middle class, that might be a difficult trip, 300 miles. And, right. and you might have to do it within a certain time frame, right? right. Because of these stupid laws. Um, it's, they took us back decades. Right. Well, and, and we're going backwards. And, and if you're, if you're conservative listening to this and you're sitting there agreeing with, well, they should do this and they should do this and they should do this. Understand that if those same things being overturned here can be used against you. Exactly. Exactly. And it, I mean, it what, what, what we're moving towards is a theocracy. Right. And if you want to see what happens in a theocracy, mm -hmm. go back and look at Iran in the 1970s. Right. Uh, they were basically a Western nation. Saudi Arabia right now. And the Taliban in Afghanistan. You guys go on and on and on about the tyranny of government. And you're cheering something that increases the government's ability to be tyrannical towards you. Right. Dude, you don't want theocracy. Just telling you. Like if you haven't read a history book lately, go pick one up. And, and it's not even real theocracy. It's, it's people in power using theocracy to keep their power. Look at Trump clearing out protesters, walking across the street, and holding the Bible upside down. In order to show his connection with the Christian faith. He doesn't give a shit about Christians. No, he doesn't at all. He's using this crap to right. keep power. It's, and if we keep on supporting people like him and supporting these leaders like your Ron DeSantis shit in Florida, because you have, you've been told by your pastor or your priest that this is evil and you're going to hell if you are pro-choice, that's all being used, and it will be used against you over and over and over again if you're not in a position of wealth. Well, you know, they're starting to say the quiet part out loud. So yeah. I'm starting to feel confident, more and more confident heading into the midterms, that this is going to this is going to blow up in their face. And this is just going to – whatever red wave we thought might be coming in November, this just blew that whole thing right out of the water. Right. I, because they're starting to say the quiet thing out loud. Mitch McConnell this weekend – when did, was doing the rounds and he went up and he went and he said a nationwide abortion ban would be possible if they regained control of Congress, right? Biden will veto it, but that's a huge problem, right? If that becomes their platform and that's what they're going to try and push for the next 10 years, that's a huge problem. Um, you've got all these, the, the state legislators all over the place. Now that they see this opening coming up, trying to do crazy, crazy shit like banning contraceptives in Arizona. Yeah. They're already moving public school dollars over to, to Catholic schools and Christian schools. Marsha Blackburn's out there saying birth control should only be available to legal couple, or uh, married couples. Yeah. What? That's a real great way to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies and abortions. It's, and they don't want to teach sex education in right. school either. 
So just to bring it back around a little bit and sort of tie up a couple loose ends, the the, the point you're making here, Kellen Wright, is that, is that this has more impacts than just re- women's reproductive health based on uh, the way this thing is written, talking about rights being based in history, right? It's absolutely true that a woman's opinion on this subject is is most important, but just the ripple effect, the potential downstream effects that are going to apply to all these other rights. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it. this is important for the entire country. So the only other issue I want to talk about real quick is, and you, you, you touched on it briefly, Jacob, and I want to, I really want to dive into it. And that's the idea of single issue voters. Mm. You're one of your favorite topics, Kellen. So this is the issue. This is the one that most people get riled up about. And then you're saying nothing else in politics matters over that or is as important. And Republican party is taking that and they're getting your vote and then they're destroying the fucking country in the process. Mm-hmm. But you have this one thing. Congratulations. Yeah, but 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 if that goes away, like if that issue isn't an issue anymore, it'll be interesting to see how they react to that. Because, uh, like, how many how many times did you engage with a Trump supporter on what a piece of shit Trump was? But they would say, yeah, but this Mm -hmm. right every time yeah i I agree like he needs to stay off twitter and keep his mouth shut but this right so every time but you do realize this is i mean let's talk about the to your whoever put the meme up there i think it was you kellen the elephant in the womb here right for a second (laughs) right that was beautiful by the way uh but the elephant in the womb here is i'm looking at it from from the perspective of state politics this is fucking huge for republicans in state politics because now decisions get made at the state level period so that right to life, pro-life, anti-abortion movement becomes very local suddenly and very dominant because they can jump on that bandwagon right now. Even in my race for House, they can say, listen, you put him in, you're not going to get what you want. You put me in, you're going to get what you want on that single issue. Well, you know what, though? They're going to end up with their wokeism. Okay, so what do you mean? Like wokeism around this, this big movement around companies being more woke? I hate to get down this rabbit hole, but this is going to be part of it is, uh, you know, they say, oh, these companies are, you know, going woke, go broke because the majority doesn't feel this way. Well, obviously the majority does. Okay. I mean, companies don't go, don't take public stances on things against their, their interests. None of those companies did go broke. No. Like which one? Nike? No, they like to Disney? throw out they like to throw out bullshit numbers to the make MLB? it seem like <laughs> Oreo cookies? Nope. It's like which one of these People companies? People still buying Oreos. Right. So and then Jerry's ice cream? Like yeah. who, which one of these went broke? Like I want somebody to I mean, I think the only one that actually ever went broke was when those uh what was that group back in the nineties and early two thousands, Moms Against Something. And they got all pissed off at JC Penny because they were carrying Ellen DeGeneres' clothing line and But JC Penny's for the record? It's still going. The reason yeah. they went downhill was because of retail sales being taken out by Amazon, and they were the primary target of that right. market, right? right? That had nothing to do with the, the wokeism piece, if you will. But the reality of it is is that these companies aren't going to locate in those states. That's right. the thing. That's like, the thing. It's, it's going to – there's going to be a new rust belt yeah, it, because of the shit. That's right. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and they're going to sit there and bitch that it's wokeism. Yeah. Well, let's go all the way back to that because that's exactly where I was going. Okay. Because ultimately when we talk to our friends that left and never came back, it's not about bike pass. It's not about fucking – do I, can I get a job? You can get a job in Iowa now. No it's problem. easy. No problem. It's easy. Our unemployment rate's super low, and you can do remote work almost anywhere in the freaking state. But people still aren't moving back. And the reason they're not moving back 
is this shit. Culture. They do not feel welcome. Right. If they're a woman, they want reproductive health. If they're LGBTQ+, they want basic rights. If they're a person of color, they prefer not being called the N-word when they're walking down the street. I, I see so many former Iowans cite education, and they'll say, our schools used to be the best in the country, and right. we used to brag about them, and now it's all gone to hell. Right. Exactly. So, guys, I think we could go on forever. We haven't we haven't had a podcast episode in, in two months, uh, but let's save it. Let's save the rest and, and and other issues that are all connected to this for season four, which will be launching in just a couple weeks. So, we hope our listeners will join us for season four. And thank you for listening to this episode, this special episode on on Roe versus Wade. We missed you guys. We're excited to get going again. We'll talk soon. <laughs>